Great news, my cruciferous cousins. Plant Strong Foods is hosting a March Madness Meals and Minutes sale. Visit plantstrong.com and save up to 30% on every one of our ready-to-eat chilies and stews. It is the perfect time to stock up on these heat-and-eat tasty meal solutions. Having a stash in your pantry means you're never more than 90 seconds away from a satisfying meal. The sale runs through March 17th while supplies last. Visit PlantStrong.com today. Hello, PlantStrong gang. Greetings from Austin, Texas, which has been my home now for 38 years. I hope that you're feeling great today, or at least as great as can be expected anyway. Thank you for tuning in this week. Today, I have a special invitation for all of you As the country slowly begins to emerge from quarantine, now is the time to do everything that we can to optimize our health and to shore up our defenses from the inside out, from chronic Western disease and from viruses. I invite you to join us for our first ever Plan Strong Primer, a live weekend event with the whole Esselstyn family and our special guest, Dr. Will Bolshewitz, the gut health doctor. This family learning lab is all online and will take place from Friday, May 15th to Sunday, May 17th, 2020. So gather up your family and join ours for interactive lectures, make along cooking demos, and a primer into all things plants. It's perfect for beginners and for people needing a reset. We know that whole food, plant-based nutrition has the irrefutable power to help people lose weight, drop blood pressure, lower cholesterol, and fight back against type 2 diabetes and heart disease. We also know that almost 97% of those hospitalized for COVID-19 had one or more of these comorbidities. As my father likes to say, these diseases are toothless paper tigers that need never exist. And if they do exist, they need not progress. Let us help you take control of your health destiny. Please know that events like this help fund the work that we do all year long. From producing the Plant Strong podcast and to creating recipes and an endless stream of inspirational content. It also funds big projects like our Heart of the Hero campaign for first responders in the city of Pittsburgh. Your ticket purchase for this exclusive weekend is a vote for this kind of work to continue. And in our efforts to give back, partial proceeds will benefit the Esselstyn Foundation, a 501c3 public charity currently providing plant-strong meals to healthcare workers on the front lines of COVID-19. So again, I invite you to gather up your family and join ours from May 15th to the 17th. We'll serve up the science along with inspiration and practical application, everything that you need to begin or to maintain your Plant Strong lifestyle. Visit primer.plantstrong.com today and register. That's primer.plantstrong.com. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say something controversial right from the get-go. Get ready. Fiber is sexy. 
It definitely doesn't get the love that it deserves, but today we're dedicating this entire show to the one nutrient that has the most impact on your gut health, fiber. Season two of the Plant Strong podcast has focused on those individuals who have the heart of a hero, but today we're going to talk about the guy who has the gut of a hero, Dr. Will Bolshewitz, or as he's affectionately known, Dr. B, the author of the forthcoming book, Fiber Fueled. This is quite simply the playbook to optimize and restore your gut health. We take a deep dive on what can be a very complex subject, but in a fun and lighthearted way, leaving you with actionable insights, tips, and best foods to optimize your gut health. A little side note, you can't have a conversation about fiber without discussing poop. And as a gastroenterologist, Dr. B is more than comfortable with the subject. So, yep, we talk a little about poop because guess what? We all do it. So grab a big bowl of leafy greens, sit back, and prepare to get turned on to fiber with Dr. B, Will Bolshewitz, the gut health doctor. On today's episode of the Plant Strong Podcast, we have Dr. Will B, Dr. B, Will Balsowicz, Balsowicz, Balsowicz. Dude, first of all, you nailed it on the first try. You nailed it on the first try, and then you second-guessed yourself a little bit. Balsowicz, Balsowicz. There you go. go. And it's just confidence, my friend. It's just confidence. You just got to say it with confidence. That's all. Well, and what, what, uh, is that Polish? What is that? Oh yeah. It's a Polish name. It's a fully Polish name. And you know, and the, and the hard thing is like, we say it now as an American word, Polish names are not meant to be said as American words. (laughs) It's just, yeah. So let me, let me hear you say it. Well, well, I I say it the same way that you said it the first time I say Bolsowitz, I say Bolsowitz, but if you were to go to Poland, they would say Bolshevitz. And I actually think Bolshevitz just rolls off the tongue a little bit easier. You know what? It does. Bolshevitz. 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 I like that. Um, well, my wife uh, is is Polish. Her her last name is Kolosinski. Kolosinski. Hey. So, <laughs> I think she's my cousin, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I see a resemblance. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so we got a lot of exciting things to talk about here today. Um, you know, I think for starters, what I'd like to ask you um, is: so you are a, a gastroenterologist, and I think I pronounced that correct. You did. Nailed it. <laughs> gastroenterologist. And so what exactly is a gastroenterologist? We are the we are the experts on all organs of digestive function. So, you know, one of the things like people kind of look at me, including my mother-in-law the first time I met her like, "Why did you decide to become a butt doctor?" <laughs> you know? So, and so I guess let me just say the, the the reason that I love what I do, part of the reason why I love what I do is that, you know, if I were a cardiologist, I would just be a heart guy all day long, all heart, all the time. Whereas for me, I get I get to have diversity. Um, as we're going to learn during this uh, podcast, diversity is a good word. I love mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. And so I, I'm, the, I'm considered the expert on the esophagus, stomach, small intestine, the colon, the rectum. The pancreas, the liver, even the hemorrhoids. Hmm. I'm the expert. That's a good thing to be an expert <laughs> on. 
And I bet you, I bet you that the line out your door is never ending. Probably under can- normal circumstances, there is a line out the door. There is no lack of business. I'm not worried that no matter what I put into the world, that I truly believe could heal a person. Like my book, every person in the entire world could read my book. But unless they all actually do what's in the book, I don't. I'm not going to be putting myself out of business anytime soon. That's for yeah. sure. Yeah. Well, you, so you you're talking about the book, and we're going to get to the book, which uh, is super exciting. It's it's your first book, right? First book. First book. Fiber fueled. Um, but I'm going to save that for a little bit later. So gastroenterologist, and how long have you been practicing? Well, I finished my training in 2014, so basically six years now I've been in, in practice. Um, but you know, if you if you look at just sort of the long drawn out path, and I know that you're familiar with the way this all works. Yeah. You know, I started college back in '98, and I went and I did four years of college, four years of med school, I did four years of internal medicine residency, including I was a chief resident at Northwestern, and then I did four years of GI training to become a specialist. And part of the reason why I did four years is actually I did an epidemiology fellowship at the University of North Carolina. So that's 16 years. I did 16 years from 98 until 2014. Finally wrapped up. You know, it's kind of funny. I thought about this too, by the way. Yeah. 16 years of training, but like working 80 to 100 hours a week, which means that just my training alone is essentially the equivalent of what most people do for the entirety of their, you know, labor campaign before they retire. (laughs) Totally. So 16 years of training, right? Before you went into practice. Before I entered practice. Before you entered practice. And in that 16 years of training, how much information that you have in your new book, Fiber Fueled, did you learn in, you know, that traditional setting? And when, and when did your education really begin? <laughs> the education never stops. You know, Bingo. the education never stops. And that's, and that's true, I think, for all of us. But I think that's particularly true in medicine. You know, if you're, if you're not constantly updating your knowledge base in medicine, then you're rapidly going to become a dinosaur. And so, but, you know, with regard to your question, Rip, and this is a completely valid question, and it's one of the weak points to me of traditional Western medicine that I I, I will openly acknowledge is very little, very little training on diet, nutrition, lifestyle. You know, honestly, what kind of, one of the big things that I did um, uh, along the way to try to update that nutritional training was I actually did the eCornell course. Yeah. So, and that's, that's just one of the things that I did, but it's, it's actually quite shocking that I could do 16 years of training and have almost no conversations about how do we fix a person's diet to address the root of their problem. Well, and I would imagine that, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I would imagine that those line, the, the lines of people that are out your door that are seeing you because they have some sort of a, a GI issue, distress, uh, that 90% of those could probably be resolved by following what we're going to talk about today, which is really a, a whole food plant-based diet that has a huge diversity of fiber. Is that, is that, is that too simplified? I don't, not only do I not think, uh, I think that is spot on, number one. 
And number two, some people might hear 90% and think that you're overreaching and you're being hyperbolic. And I actually think it might be more than that. <laughs> right. I mean, I, I'm not exaggerating. I, I literally, I literally believe, I, and I'm not saying that, that rip, that we would live in this utopian world where we all live to be 200 years old and there's literally no disease at all. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that if the root of the problem starts with our microbiome, which in my specialty, that is where the root of the problem starts. If the root of the problem is the microbiome and the number one way that you can change your microbiome is with the food that you eat, then we need to be doing that when we take care of these patients. Otherwise, we're ignoring the root of the problem and we're putting a patch over it with a pill. But, so you say the term microbiome, but in your 16 years of training, was that was that discussed or is that kind of like, for example, I feel, and I'm embarrassed to say that, you know, this is kind of, you know, my huge passion, right? And I didn't know about the microbiome and how it's been considered kind of like the second brain and the lost organ until like three and a half, four years ago. Right. I mean, did the conversation just start recently about this or is this- I think you know, well, there's these studies, Rip, there's these studies where they say, okay, how long does it take from the day of publication for it to actually get into common knowledge among medical doctors? And when they look at that, what they come up with is 17 years. <laughs> it takes 17 years from the day a paper is published. And I just think we don't need to be practicing medicine with the research studies that came out in 2003 right now. I think we need to be practicing medicine with the research studies that came out last week or, or this week, right? It's time for us to update. And that's the beautiful thing is that everything, every single thing in my book is sourced. It's all sourced. There are 600 references. And I'll be honest, I, I challenge doctors. I challenge the doctors who are listening to this show. I want you to read my book and I want you to check my sources because they're there. And I think when you do, you're going to learn. You're going to learn that this is the path. What? So who or what allowed you to see the light and realize that a whole food plant-based diet loaded with fiber is, is the answer? Was it a documentary? Was it a book? Was it a fellow doctor that pulled you aside and said, hey, dude, wake up? What was it? I wish there was a fellow doctor who slapped me across the face and said, wake up. It would have made things a little bit easier, but instead I was the guy who had to get sick. Wow. Really? Yeah. I was the guy who had to get sick. And by sick, I don't mean acutely ill. I don't mean like I was hospitalized and hooked up to an IV. What I mean is that for a guy who, similar to you, Rip, for a guy who was a great athlete in high school, and I always thought of myself as fit and trim, I gained 50 pounds. I was 50 pounds overweight. I had a gut. I had high blood pressure. I had an anxiety issue. I had extreme fatigue that was persistent daily. I was able to cover that up with like literally probably 40 ounces of dark roast coffee per day, plus potentially a couple of Red Bulls, <laughs> right? So, you know, so you can cover that stuff up. Is that good for you that you can cover it up with such extreme measures like that? Um, and that's where I was. And I was 30 years old and I was accomplishing everything that I wanted to accomplish from a professional perspective, but I felt like absolute trash in doing it. I really did. I felt way too old for my age. And, you know, it was hard for me to realize the, the thing that I struggled with is I didn't really know how to fix myself. And I tried to outwork it because I'm a hardworking guy. So I thought I can get in the gym and I'll just grind it out. 
I was doing six days a week, 30 to 45 minutes of weights, jump on the treadmill, five to 10K. Still couldn't do it. I still couldn't lose the weight. I still couldn't get past the issues. And I had to come to the realization that the food that I had been eating my entire life, the standard American diet, was actually the problem, which was hard for me to acknowledge because I enjoyed that food and because I was raised that way. So how did this become the problem if I was if this is what I've been eating the whole time? And, and what opened my eyes, Rip, was an angel that came down from heaven. Yeah. That's my wife. <laughs> <laughs> and, she, and she entered into my life and we started to date. And um, I noticed that we would go out to a nice restaurant and I'm looking at the ribeye and she would say, hey, I know it's not on the menu, but could you go and ask the chef if they'll take and make a plant, like a plate full of plants for me? Just give me a whole bunch of sides and make it look nice. And so, and I saw her doing this. I was like, she can eat without restriction. She is definitely eating food. She's very happy. And her weight is under complete control without, without the effort that I'm putting in. And so it, went, it, it sent me down this path, Rip. And just to kind of fast track uh, what happened after that, I, I opened my mind. I started making small changes, smoothie instead of fast food for dinner. It worked immediately. Started losing weight, started making more changes, went to the medical literature. Thousands of studies that I hadn't heard of. Watched forks over knives. Whoa light bulb just went off. Brought this into my clinic. Now I'm in medical practice. It's 2014, 2015. Bring this into my clinic. Patients are getting healed left and right. Amazing results, mind-blowing results. Now it's 2016, Rip. And I'm like, it is not enough for me to have these conversations behind closed doors. I had no plans to be an author. I had no plans to be an Instagram guy. I had no plans to do that. But there was something pulling me there was something pulling me and compelling me to say, you got to have this conversation with people beyond just your own patients. You got to open up. So I created the Instagram account in 2016. One thing led to another. Next thing I know, I'm on your podcast, having this conversation with a guy who a couple years ago, it's like, you know, engine two and all the work that your dad has done too. You guys are my hero. Like you, you're my heroes, right? And now here I'm doing a podcast with you and I have a book coming out on May 12th from Penguin Random House, the largest publisher in the country. Same publisher as your dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Woo! Um, well, you know, so this is the second season of the Plant Strong podcast. And this season, really, the theme is the heart of a hero. And I think for this, for this particular episode, we got to call this one the gut of a hero. Let's right? go. Let's go. <laughs> the, the, the gut of a hero, baby. The gut, the microbiome, um, COVID-19, right? I think that the information that you have that's going to be in your book is probably one of the, the number one things that people can do to protect themselves from being hospitalized and all that. Is that would you agree with that? You know, I, I think the bottom line is this. I don't, I don't want to make yeah. any false, uh, any, yeah. any sort of false claims with my book, right? The, sure. book, the book is this. It is the playbook to optimize your gut health, no matter who you are. This is the playbook. It shows you the science. It's got the references. It even has the meal plan. Four-week meal plan, over 65 recipes. The, but what you're saying to me, I, I actually believe to be true. I don't have a study to verify that. 
Okay. That study's not going to exist anytime soon because we have other priorities with COVID-19, yeah. right? But, 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 but if I, but if I can interrupt for a sec, yeah, we, I, but you're right. We don't have the studies yet, but what we do know, and this is like from the director of the CDC, 94% of the people that have perished, unfortunately, from this disease have comorbidity issues, right? With heart right. disease, diabetes, obesity, you know, all that stuff. So, I mean, I think that you and I both know that all these things, for the most part, are created from the standard American diet and you're eating the wrong way. Um, it's no coincidence yeah. that heart disease, heart disease has been connected back to the gut. There's strong data coming out of the Cleveland Clinic with regard to TMAO, right. heart disease, which comes from the gut. There's no, it's no coincidence that obesity has been connected to the gut, that type 2 diabetes has been connected to the gut. Let me give you a quick example. They did this one study with young men, okay, who had insulin resistance, type 2 diabetes, and they did a fecal transplant into these young men of someone who was healthy, who ate a diet like you and I. And when they did this, literally what I'm saying is literally all they did was took the poop from another person yeah. and put it into this person who has insulin resistance. And how, okay. how, how do they do that? Is, is, is it, I mean, that, I think I would like to know that. Well, it's not a shake. It's not a shake. <laughs> no, I'll tell you that. no, okay. no. <laughs> thank, thank, right. goodness, thank goodness. And it's, it's probably it's not actually, a, and it's probably not a pill. I hope <laughs> they believe it or not, they're developing the pill, <laughs> but it's not quite ready for prime time. So you know where we are. We're we're slightly past the medieval phase of this all, um, and where we are now is it's actually become quite easy. When I say quite easy, I'm talking as someone who was there when we used to have a Vitamix blender and we used to make a slurry out of the using the Vitamix blender, and then we would use that to. Um, to perform the fecal transplant. Those are the old days. Those days are gone, Rip. And that blender, I hope, was thrown out and not sold at a garage sale. Okay. But what we do now is we will um, basically do a colonoscopy, right? So if I have a patient who needs a fecal transplant, and by the way, right now, there's only one, outside of research, there's only one indication for a fecal transplant, and that's if you've had a C. diff infection. So, but in the person who needs it, what I'll do is I do a colonoscopy, and then during the procedure, I actually administer the fecal transplant, and it's just a liquid. It's just a liquid that basically you inject through the colonoscope. The patient wakes up, and from their perspective, they don't know that anything is different. They don't know that you did a fecal transplant. They don't smell different. <laughs> You're not doing any sort of weird foreign person's, you know, not passing foreign person's gas or something like that. They, but, but what's magical about it is with the C. diff infection, for example, this, this infection that we have seen antibiotics, antibiotics fail so many times. So many, I can't tell you how many times I've seen antibiotics fail for this infection. And you take the most severe infection and you do this fecal transplant. And two days later, the patient is completely cured. And all you've done is change their gut microbiome. And in this study with insulin resistance rip, all they did was change the gut microbiome. And these guys saw improvement of insulin sensitivity. They didn't change their diet. Yeah. What period of time do you know? Well, it happened immediately, but here's the problem. These guys were not told to eat a plant-based diet, yeah. right? They should have been because if they did, they would have sustained the benefit that they got from the fecal transplant. But because they didn't, the microbes that they received that were actually helping their body to perform metabolically the way it's supposed to, they all died after a couple of weeks. So basically they got a good benefit right up front, but within three to four weeks, it was like back to business as usual. 
So, and that's why you have to change your diet because the diet is what supports the gut microbiome. But, but Rip, to get back to the original point, the original point that you were saying with COVID-19, these people have comorbidities. I'm saying that these comorbidities have all been tied back to the gut microbiome. And I, I would just tell you that the immune system, which everyone, every single person, even the biggest skeptic on the planet agrees, having an, a good, healthy immune system is really important right now. And we, we have study after study after study showing us the connection between the gut microbiome and the immune system because 70% of the immune system lives in the gut. 70% of the immune system lives in the gut. So I find that to be fascinating. Uh, and when you say, can, can we, let's take a step back for a sec. Yeah. So let me ask you three questions. One, how many, as human beings, we are made up of approximately how many cells? Is it like 6 trillion, 10 trillion? We, we as humans are yep. made up of about 30 trillion cells. Totally. Okay. Okay. So, and how many, um, how much bacteria do we have? How many like bacteria do we have? Is it like tenfold that? What is it? All right. <laughs> we, we have 39 trillion bacteria. All right. Now to put this into perspective, that is all the stars in our galaxy. Every single star in the Milky Way times more than 100. You need 100 Milky Ways full of stars to equal the number of bacteria that you personally have living in you and on you, okay? But Rip, the other thing that's interesting, so we are, we are at least more than 50% human at a minimum. All scientists agree on this. We are less than 50% human. We yep. are more than 50% microbes. But if you actually removed the red blood cells and the platelets, right? The red blood cells and the platelets, they don't have a nucleus. They're not like a traditional cell that's got the nucleus and all the different organelles. And if you just looked at the ones that have the organelles, we are more than 90% bacteria. <laughs> and if you look at the genetics, we could keep going, Rip. I could keep going all day, my friend. If you look at the genetics, our, if you look at all of the genes that we have, only 0.5% of our genetic code is human genes. 99.5% of our genetic code comes from our microbiome. That's phenomenal. So how, so this started with you saying the, the immune system. Yep. And so is the immune system comprised of, is it cells? W what is the immune system? Because you said 70% are located in our gut. Right. And, and so, you know, how do, we, how do you know that? And what does that look like? So the immune system is predominantly made up of multiple different cells. Let's think of them like soldiers. You know, you got Marines, you got the Navy, you got the, you got the Army, and then you got some and special then, and forces. You, and then you got Paul DeGelder and you got Damian Mander in there. <laughs> and so, and you got some special forces. And, and yeah. so the bottom line is they all have their own unique expertise of what they bring to the equation. And people ask the question, so where, you know, where would, does the immune system live? And if you were like, imagine that you're flying at night in an airplane and you're looking down at the United States of America. And what you see is you see hot spots. You see places where the, everything is lit up and then you see black, you see darkness where there's not as much of a hot spot. The hot spots, if you were looking for the immune system, you would see a hot spot in the spleen. You would see hot spots in the lymph nodes and the bone marrow but you would see the largest light up in the lining of the colon, the lining of the intestines. This is where 70% of your immune cells live. And there's actually a very rational reason for why. People are like, well, why would it be there? 
Why would it be there? This is a little bit hard to fathom. Um, so take a moment if you need to pause the, pro- the podcast to process this, people at home. But the, our gut is actually an outward-facing structure. What does that mean? That, 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 that in and of itself is a little confusing to me. Yeah. So what that means is that we interact with the outside world through our gut, through the deepest part. We call it the bowels. It's like the deepest part of our body. But actually, that is where we are interacting with the outside world the most. And that's because the tube, the gut is a tube that opens on one end and opens on the other end. Anything that you put into your mouth and swallow down is still outside of your body, even though it's way inside your gut. It's still outside your body. The gut microbiome, believe it or not, is outside of our body. It's on the surface of the intestines. And then just inside the body is the immune system. And the immune system sits there in the gut because this is where we are interacting with the outside world and we're making choices and decisions. Is it good? Is it bad? Should we absorb it? Should we let it in? Should we fight it? Should we attack it? Right? And so, and this is the reason why we need most of our immune system to actually live there in close proximity to our microbiome. But what's interesting is that you want to talk about, you know, training the immune system. It's the gut. The gut is what trains the immune system. My friends from college, actually, we were having a conversation today and they kind of got into, you know, the microbiome space a little bit and they wanted to know about food allergies. Yeah. Why are kids having so many food allergies these days? And the answer is that our gut microbiome is tasked with actually training the immune system to know what is good and what is bad. And there's a reason why if you disrupt the normal development of the gut microbiome, whether it's with antibiotics at a young age, whether it's a C-section instead of a vaginal delivery, or whether it's bottle feeding instead of breastfeeding, all of these things draw us away from the natural balance that we're supposed to have. And then what you see is these are the these are the kids who are more likely to develop allergic issues like food allergies. Yeah. No, that is that is um, that is phenomenal. It's fascinating. I look around me and I see so many people that and I'm I'm kind of coming, I'm I'm kind of pausing because I'm coming back to that statement that you made where it's like it's outward facing, right? Yeah. Um, that, that it's just like, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get my brain wrapped around that, but it's, uh, and so I look at so many people that are suffering right now from stuff like acid reflux, GERD, constipation, you know, uh, diarrhea, IBS, uh, you know, the list goes on and on and on. And is that, is that almost like your, your body's, your your gut basically giving you feedback that hey you know you're not treating me well here and uh, and I I got to give you some feedback here. One hundred percent. The gut's not happy, right? The gut is not happy, and that's why you're manifesting these symptoms. And yeah. if you were to look on a cellular level at what's happening inside you know inside your gut, like with these microbes, here's what you would find: you would find that there is a loss of balance. So there's supposed to be all these good guys, and the good guys basically suppress the bad guys. The bad guys can't do harm because the good guys are suppressing them. There's meant to be a wide variety, all kinds of different species. And when things start to unravel and become problematic is when you start to lose the good guys and you see more bad guys as a result of that. And when you start to lose the species, there's not as much variety. 
when that happens, the gut has lost balance. And when the gut loses balance, we have a word for it. And the word is dysbiosis. Say that that again. Dysbiosis, D-Y-S-B-I-O-S-I-S. And this is our medical word for this. Now, on the internet, you'll see people talking about leaky gut, and I would argue probably 90% of what you read on the internet when it comes to this kind of stuff, like everything else, is probably not true. But dysbiosis is when we have damage to our gut microbiome. This is the word that we use. It's a loss of balance. And dysbiosis is associated with all these digestive disorders. But dysbiosis is associated with so much more. This is why we say that gut health is so central to human health that you know some people argue all health starts in the gut. Mm-hmm. And increasingly, more doctors are acknowledging that there is truth to that statement because it's not just digestion. It's not just acid reflux and abdominal pain, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea. This is the immune system. This is, you know, 70% of the immune system. This is your mood. 90% of serotonin produced in the gut. That's the happy hormone. That's what controls our mood, our ability to focus. 90% of it is not produced in the brain. 90% is produced in the gut. (laughs) our hormonal balance, our hormonal balance, our gut is like an endocrine organ. It's a larger endocrine organ than what we think of as endocrine organs, like the testicles or the ovaries. Even with our genetic expression, even our genetic expression. So, you know, when they cracked the human genetic code, which was about 20 years ago, they really thought that we had found the cure for cancer and heart disease. They really thought that. Mm-hmm. And it has not panned out. And the reason why it has not panned out is because you are not predestined to develop certain diseases based upon your genetic code. Instead, you have wiring, which is your genetic code, and your gut microbiome is flipping the switches. It's able to turn on or turn off certain parts of your code. And so and if you think about that, there's two things. That is number one, that's incredibly powerful. But number two, it's actually really empowering too. It's empowering because you're not born to have disease. You're born for health. You just got to take care and nurture your gut microbiome and you will have that health because you take care of and nurture your gut microbiome. And it all starts, it all starts with the relationship between your microbes and fiber fiber from plants. That's where it all begins in terms of human health and the gut microbiome. Right. So it all starts, uh, starts and ends with fiber. Maybe that's why your book is called fiber fueled. Uh, so, I mean, you, 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 uh, would it, would it be fair to say that you worship fiber? I, I, (laughs) uh, let me put it this way. The fiber from plants. Not like, uh, not like Metamucil or, yeah, yeah, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm with you a hundred percent. And to, to call it worship, that's one way you could say it to me. I would say it like this. I think fiber is sexy. <laughs> yeah. I think fiber is sexy. And you know what? Other people don't. I've had a lot of people comment. Why are you calling your book fiber fueled? It's so unsexy. I'm like, wait till you read it. <laughs> wait till you read the book. Cause then you're going to be wearing the same glasses that I am. Yeah. And you're going to think that fiber is so sexy. Well, it's, it's it, I, I, you know, you're right. I mean, it's, it's probably the, the, the magic, uh, elixir for, you know, virility and, uh, and long healthy sex, right? You, uh, I mean, 110%, <laughs> 110%. And that's just the beginning of the story. Yeah. 
you know, and, and, and the, and the thing is, and part of the reason why I'm, I, I felt so compelled to get this word out is that, you know, here we are and we're screwing around on all this, you know, tomfoolery. We're, we're screwing around on this hogwash like lectins and phytates and oxalates and, you know, and we're just kind of screwing around on silly stuff. And meanwhile, 97% of Americans don't even get the minimal amount of fiber in their daily diet. All right. We are actually starving our gut microbes. They are starving. So, so I think we, I think we need to say that again, because I think it's such an important point. Um, there, there is so much noise and distraction out there right now, right? From the keto, the paleo, the carnivore that's, that are pulling people to me in the absolute 180 degree wrong direction they should be going in. Uh, and because it's kind of, you know, sexy in its own way, uh, you know, it, 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 and, and people are now given permission to eat all these foods that, you know, they traditionally think that they love. But you just said, and I, and I think that the, the facts bear it out, 97% of Americans are deficient in fiber. Is that, is that correct? Did I hear that right? 97% of Americans are deficient in fiber. When we, Rip, when we study fiber, we, the way that we'll set the study up is we'll look at high fiber consumers versus low fiber consumers. Here's the problem. If you do that study in the United States, even the high fiber consumers are getting less than the daily recommended amount of fiber. Which is what? In women, 25 grams. In men, 38 grams. But I also think that there's more to the equation than this, than, than just the grams of fiber, right? Yeah. Like I don't count grams of fiber yeah. for myself. I have no clue how many I have. I'm sure it's a ton because I'm eating a whole food plant-based diet, right? But at the end of the day, what really is the most important thing is this. Not all fiber is created equal. Every single plant has its own unique types of fiber. Every single one. Let's use black beans as an example. Black beans, when you eat them, the fiber in the beans will pass through your intestine untouched, untouched, and enter into the colon, which is your large intestine. And when it gets there, your gut microbes are dancing the river dance. Okay? <laughs> they, is they, they're yeah. like a bunch of piranhas, but beautiful piranhas that we love, all right? Yeah. And they just attack the fiber and they devour it and they multiply and they grow and they thrive just like we do when we are properly nourished. And because they do that, they want to pay us back. And what they do is they release what's called short-chain fatty acids, which have healing effects right there in the gut, but they have healing effects throughout the entire body, including on the immune system including crossing the blood-brain barrier and having effects on your brain. Healing effects. We're talking about lectins. We're talking about phytates, which are, frankly, of no consequence. And we're missing out on the real conversation, which is fiber and short-chain fatty acids. So when you eat that black bean, here's the key. When you eat that black bean, you are feeding specific populations of bacteria, and they thrive. Okay, But if you withdraw that black bean, you're like, ah, oh, go on paleo. <laughs> lectins, lectins, I'm afraid. All right. You withdraw that black bean. Guess what happens to the same microbes that thrive when you eat it? They starve, they recede, they grow weak, and eventually they go extinct. All right. So can you, can you bring them back? If you start eating fiber soon enough, yeah. 
if you starve them to the point that they go extinct, then you may miss it all. You may, you may lose it altogether. But if you bring the fiber back on board, you'll get them right back. You'll get them right back. Okay. I'm just, I'm just wondering some of these people that have gone keto and carnivore that are doing almost no, no plant-based foods, almost zero fiber. If they have basically, you know, ruined their chances of reintroducing that good, healthy, what previtella, is that what it's called? There's, there's so many different ones. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the point, uh, with them is that they think that they're healing their gut because they're not consuming any carbs. And that's like saying I healed my, my, you know, um, destroyed knee. Like my knee is torn up. All right. That's like saying I healed my torn up knee by getting a motorized scooter. Right. Right. Because you're not walking on it. If you never walk on it, it can't hurt you. But the problem is if you hurt your knee and you get a motorized scooter, maybe it's not your knee that you're going to feel the pain from, but you will feel the pain because your health is going to deteriorate, right? So it's short-term, short-term gain, long-term loss. Real men eat. I'm here with a special guest. His name is Tim Turway. Tim and I have been buddies for over 18 years. We have been mountain biking and triathlon training partners. Uh, and during this COVID-19 ordeal, we've been hitting the mountain biking trails at least two to three times a week for two to three hours at a time. And we always take my dog Jade uh, with us. Uh, Tim, his nickname is The Caveman because he's got these crazy um, pork chop sideburns and he's also shredded and ripped like nobody's business. But we finished these rides up and we're both shaking our heads in amazement at Jade because of how well she not only has kept up, but she just seems like she's ready to go another round immediately. Um, But I had an extra bag of wild earth dog food and I said, Tim, take this and give it to your 11 year old dog, Molly, and see how Molly reacts and what her feedback is. And what did she think? Oh, she loved it. Right away when I brought it home, poured her a bowl, and she just chowed down. Um, we were feeding her some high-quality food from, from the store, and sometimes she would just put her nose up to it, and we would supplement it with canned dog food, mix it in there, the wet stuff, and and sometimes even <laughs> cook her some sausage, you know, which, which is... You know, Blast kind of, kind of me! I know, I know. <laughs> I mean, you know, gotta have meat in the house, yeah. But... Uh, but she just loves this straight out of the bag, and uh, and which is nice, so you don't have to go to any extra trouble. And uh, maybe it's because it's got so much protein in. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I'm glad to hear. And if you want your dog to gobble up the dog food the way Jade and Molly do, go to WildEarth.com or Amazon.com for 40% off your first order. Thanks, Tim. So these people, I do worry, Rip, I do worry that they are destroying their gut. And it's, it's quite the question of consequences, you know, are, we need more studies to show us what the long-term consequences of those are, but I worry that there, there is no upside. There is no upside. There is only long-term pain. Yeah. Yeah. So you were talking about a wonderful, delicious, perfectly cooked black bean that goes yep. through your system, right? Into, yeah. So. Uh, and, and, and what I want to say about it is this. So when you eat it, you get all these microbes. When you don't eat it, you lose those microbes. And that is true of every single type of plant. 
you want this variety, this diversity, right? So the point is, it's not about grams of fiber. It's about variety because when you eat variety, diversity of plants, you can support all these different species that will thrive and multiply and heal you with every single unique type of fiber in every single unique type of plant. Yeah, this is this to me is so exciting. Seriously, uh, it gives me goosebumps. So tell me, like when you say it's all about diversity of fiber, not so much just getting fiber. Give me, like for our listeners, how many different variety of plants are we talking about here over the course of a day or a week? All right, here's the key, Rip. I am not just making this up like, hey, this is a cool idea. I'm not like making this up like, hey, this is a great story, okay? This is coming straight to you from the most powerful source of information on this topic that we have, which is the American Gut Project, the largest study to date to correlate diet and lifestyle to the health of our gut microbiome. And when and these, these researchers, these are potentially Nobel Prize winning researchers, okay? These are not guys with an agenda. And when they analyzed their database, there was one clear cut above all else, number one thing that was associated with the health of the gut microbiome. The single greatest predictor of a healthy gut microbiome was the diversity of plants in the diet. And in that study, it was 30 or more plants. But I want people to understand, there's nothing magical about- Per week? Is that per week? Per week. week. Yeah, per week. But there's nothing magical about the number 30. What it is, is that most of us are probably getting 15, 18, maybe 20, all right? And if you're not intentional, our food system is not going to do this for you. Our food system wants to make it as much corn, genetically modified soy, and wheat as humanly possible, mostly through processed foods. And so, and that's, that's the problem with our food system. And so you need to be very intentional about these things. Let me give you a quick example, Rip, if it's okay, the way that I approach this. Love it. It happens, it happens with every meal. This is my core philosophy. My one rule. This is the golden rule. Diversity of plants. Dr. B's rule. This is the one <laughs> rule. You don't, need, you don't need a laundry list of what not to eat. Yeah. Okay? It's very simple. Diversity of plants. This is the one rule. And so here's what I'll do. A simple meal that we'll do is going to be pasta with, with sauce, right? So I get my organic whole wheat pasta. And I get my engine two sauce. You know, I love the heat. You know, I love the heat, my friends. Fire, firehouse kale. I get the firehouse kale. So you I, said, so you specifically said organic. Any particular reason? Is that because you, you, you like organic as opposed to conventional or? With the wheat? Yeah. So the reason specifically with the wheat is that the wheat that is not organic, it's not that it's genetically modified. It's that it can be sprayed with glyphosate. Yep. And in that setting, it's not that they're spraying the glyphosate to make the wheat grow better like they do with genetically modified corn or soy. It's that they actually are spraying the glyphosate to dry out the wheat because it, it basically will dry it out faster. So, so basically, if it's not organic wheat, then I typically don't really want much to do with it unless it's sourdough and it's been fermented. Yep. Good so, to know. Good to know. Okay. Yeah. So take this basic meal. Anyone can do this. Pasta and sauce right? That's two, two different plants. That's not a lot of plant-based diversity, but hold up. What if we throw some mushrooms in there? Onions, garlic, get those in the sauce. If it's the firehouse kale, you already got the kale in there, right? But you could get your own kale, throw some more kale in there. 
How about some zucchini? It's delicious, right? And you throw this sauce on top and then you get the basil, you get the fresh parsley, right? And all of a sudden you went from two ingredients, two plants up to, we're like pretty darn close to 10. Oh, and it tastes better. And your gut microbes are being rewarded and they're in celebration mode right now. And they're healing you. They're actually healing you. And that's just, and that's just one meal where you've got potentially a dozen different, uh, different plants, right? And, and that's just one meal. And then, and then, you know, you yeah. just, you make this your core philosophy. Like for example, Rip, when I go to the salad bar, if it's a plant, it's going on my salad. <laughs> that's it. And it's just a question of how much. And, you know, each person individually may need to adapt this. Let's say that you do have sensitivity with your gut. Let's say that you are the type of person who eats beans and you get some, some gas and bloating. You may cut down the beans. You may not eat so many beans as I eat. That's okay. You adapt it to yourself. But we're, we're all trying to strive towards maximizing our gut microbiome with dietary diversity. And have you found that as somebody starts to go down this path, as their um, maybe their microbiome becomes more just maybe just I'll say sophisticated and mature, they they can tolerate more of the beans and and they don't have as much of the bloating and stuff like that. Is that fair to say? Short answer: Yes, it is fair. Longer answer: The gut is like a muscle. The gut is like a muscle. It can be healed. It can be strengthened, but you got to train it. So if you withdraw beans and grains, don't expect to be good at eating beans and grains when you try to reintroduce them, right? It's going to be a point of weakness. If you don't use it, you lose it. But when you do use it, if you do it in the right amount, you are building strength. It's like going to the gym. So when I go to the gym, I know what my limitations are. If I triple up my limitations, I'm going to hurt myself. Right. So if you are limited when it comes to beans, if you have damage to your gut and you're limited when it comes to beans, don't try to do the five bean chili. It's not a great idea. Right. <laughs> yeah. But you can do a certain amount of beans. You can do a certain amount. And then next week, you're going to come back and do a little bit more and you're going to build your strength and you're going to get it back. And all of a sudden, what you're going to find one day is you're not even thinking about it anymore. The training wheels come off. That's I I love that analogy about you know how it's it's almost like a muscle right and you yeah. got to tra train that muscle back back when I was doing introduce this to the the, fi uh, the firefighters at station two back in two thousand and three we had one guy who in the very beginning after every meal we had with beans he'd be like tied up in balls on the couch you know just with gas pains and bloating <clears throat> six months later man he was a rock star but it took oh, yeah. a little while it took a little while for him to get used to it. You yeah. got, you got to get used to it. You got to adapt. The gut will adapt. The gut is, is the most actually adaptable part of us as humans. And, and believe it or not, Rip, it's kind of interesting to think about the reason why we rely on our gut so much for digestion, because we do, I mean, you know, processing our food, we have outsourced it to our gut microbes. Mm. And the reason why we, re we rely on them so much is because if you think about human history, we start in Africa. And then we radiate out across this entire planet. And no matter where we live, we have to eat from the ecosystem. And we get exposed to all of these different varieties of plants that we're eating. And you, so you can't have a simplistic human gut that's not adaptable. What you need is you need outsource it to the microbes because they can change very quickly. They can adapt to what you're doing. 
And, you know, the gut microbiome of a person who lives in the jungle is going to be different than the person who lives on the plains because you're eating different food. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's interesting. I've read some stuff and you, I'm sure in writing your book would, would better know than I do, but you know, back in the day you mentioned, you know, Africa, which made me think, you know, I think I've read that, you know, pay the true paleo right diet was probably a hundred to 120 grams of fiber a day. Right. And it probably was a varied variety. And we said, you said earlier, I mean, I think most people are getting what, 15 grams of fiber a day. So it's almost, grams. so it's almost 10 X back in the day, 10X what people are getting today. I, I mean, I, it's just, it's just, it's just mind boggling to me. I bet you if I was to add up my grams of fiber and I'm sure you've done this, I bet you I'm getting somewhere and it's not only very diverse, but I bet you it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 90 to 110 a day. I, I could see that. I could definitely see that. For especially sure. with the, especially with the quantities of food that I eat too. Yeah. Right? Be, being, you're being, devouring food. Oh, oh yeah. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, Rip, it, it's such, but do I, those I mean, numbers, do those numbers ring true at all? Like a hundred and yeah. 110%. You are exactly on point. And you know, when you use, there's certain things, if you say paleo, or if you say the word lectin, I get triggered a little bit. So <laughs> I have to jump in here. So I hope you don't mind. Yeah. All right. So first of all, there, there is, there is no ancestral diet. It doesn't exist. There is no ancestral diet because we radiated out across the globe and wherever we lived, we had to live off the land. And we lived in, at, during that period of time, during the Paleolithic era, there were no supermarkets and people were dying of starvation, right? So we lived in an era of famine. So we ate what we could to try to sustain ourselves long enough so that we could procreate children and pass on our seed. Yep. And if we don't live that long, then guess what? It's, it's brutal, but you're not a part of human history anymore. So it's survival of the fittest. That's what Darwinism is. All right. But the point is, there is no ancestral diet. Now, to your point, Rip, they, they have actually studied native tribal people. And there is this population that lives in Tanzania. They're called the Hudza. All right. And they actually are hunters and gatherers. They are modern hunters and gatherers. I don't know how much longer they're going to be together because they're eroding. A lot of them are starting to enter into civilization. But they don't have organized agriculture. So we have studied them to try to get inferences into the way that things were back then, Paleolithic times. Okay. And here's what they found. By the way, the guy who did this study, his name is Justin Sonnenberg. And he's one of the guys who endorsed my book. And he's a world-class microbiome researcher. Wow. All right. This is the guy who's writing the stuff that's changing the game. When he studied the Hudza himself, what he found is number one, they have 40% more species diversity than we do right off the bat. I told you diversity is key. Diversity is a healthy gut microbiome. They have 40% more than we do. So what, it is, what is it about them? Well, there's a lot of elements to this. We could, you could debate you know, how it's different, their lifestyle, but here's one of the key parts. Number one, their diet is predominantly plant-based. All right, predominantly plant-based. More than 100 grams of fiber per person per day. <laughs> yeah, but that's predominantly like right. 90, well, probably over 90%. Number two, think about diversity of plants. I just told you that the goal is more than 30 plants in a week. Okay. If you look at our supermarkets, I, you would struggle to really get above 50. Our food system is not doing dietary diversity for us automatically. 
When Sonnenberg studied the Hudza, guess how many plants he discovered they were eating in a year? Uh, I'm going to take a wild guess. 212. Triple it. Really? Triple it. <laughs> and you were going high. And you were going high. They have five, they have five, 600, I'm sorry, 600 <laughs> species of plants that they eat. And here's another cool thing, since we're on the topic of the Hudza real quick, you asked me earlier, can you get it back? Yeah. Can you get it back? So Sonnenberg did a study to answer that question. Because what they found is that this tribe living in Tanzania, there was a seasonal variation to their diet. What that meant is that certain times of the year, they were eating certain specific foods. And what, the, what, what Sonnenberg found is that when it was the time of year for them to eat berries, for example, their gut created the enzymes necessary to process and digest berries. And then they would stop eating the berries because they would go out of season and those enzymes would disappear hmm. only to come back the next time they started to eat berries again. Point being, the gut is like a muscle. It can be adapted. It can be strengthened. What, do you know when did he do these, uh, this set of studies? Uh, I think it was, I, I would have to double check, but I'm pretty sure we're, we're talking about like 2014 to 16, somewhere in there. So when, um, when, so your, your mantra is diversity of plants, right? Fiber fuel, diversity of plants. Um, that is your prescription. Yes. I, I feel like that is my one simple catchphrase contribution to human health. If I can get you to do that, then I think you're radically improving your health. No matter who yeah. you are, you could be vegan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, but so within those 600 different plants or whatever are, that are out there, what, what, it, what's your opinion on, uh, let me just throw out some stuff, uh, nuts and seeds. Love them. Love them. Love them. Okay. All right. Do you have a recommendation as far as how much? On a given day, uh, when it comes to nuts and seeds, ground flaxseed meal, chia seeds, stuff like that? All right. So to put this into perspective, Reb, I'm telling you, I want you to have as many friends as you can possibly have. Okay? Every plant is a friend. I want you to have as many friends as you can possibly have. But it's okay for you to have best friends. <laughs> and the best friends are the superfoods. The best friends are the superfoods. And in my book, I actually lay out an entire chapter on what are those best friends. And one of the main ones that I point out are the omega-3 super seeds, mm. chia, flax, hemp, and to a lesser degree, walnuts. Now, that's not to say that you don't eat walnuts. I'm just saying these are where the omega-3s come from. Now, can I, so this morning on my breakfast cereal, I've, I've got a lineup of different jars in my kitchen. And one, I've got chia, one, I've got hemp hearts, one, I've got ground flaxseed meal. And then one, it's usually in the refrigerator, I have walnuts, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and so I put four, four of those different omega-3 superstars on my breakfast cereal. And usually it's about a, a, a tablespoon of each. Um, but I love that. They are definitely some of my best friends. <laughs> if I could, if, if we were not socially distancing, I would yeah. give you a hug right now because of <laughs> what you just said, my friend. <laughs> and, then, and then I also, I always have at least three or four varieties of fruit on top of my cereal. Right, and my cereal also has four different types of whole grains in it. So I'm, I'm just I'm just going through what you've said earlier, 
you know, when you talked about the pasta with the sauce and then you add, you know, the, the mushrooms, the onions, the zucchini. So just in my cereal alone, I've got, you know, four different types of whole grains. I've got four different types of, you know, nuts or seeds. I've got three. I mean, that's, that's 11, 12 right there, just in my breakfast bowl. And people wonder how you stay so robust. You know, <laughs> people wonder how you stay so robust and so strong. I mean, that you're doing it exactly the way it's meant to be done. And, you know, just to expand on that, you, again, you kind of triggered me a little bit because my chapter, which is about which foods are your best friends, I give, I give you an acronym. All right. The acronym is F goals, F for fiber, F ah. goals. All right. And let me just run through it real quick because you just rattled off a whole bunch of my F goals. Good. Bring it right. on. Bring it on, baby. F is for fruit and fermented. Fruit and fermented. Let's not be underestimating fruit. It's fantastic for you. Fermented food definitely should be a part of your diet. It's not a part of the American diet right now, and it should be. G is for greens and grains. Greens, maximum nutrition, zero calories. Maximum nutrition, zero calories. You should look at them as free nutrition, especially if you're trying to lose weight. Whole grains, foundational food for the microbiome. Your gut thrives on whole grains, and we're not getting enough of them in the American diet. O, omega-3 super seeds. We already talked about them. A, aromatics. Onions, garlic, leeks, shallots, okay? Super healthy and flavorful and flavorful. Not so much for breakfast. Not so much for breakfast, but you can get that tomato sauce going with the garlic and the onions, and it's going to be delicious. All right? L is for legumes. Again, similar to whole grains, foundational foods. You know, frankly, if you ask me, Doc, what's like the one category for the health of your gut? I'm probably going legumes. Yeah. Honestly. S. Imagine, and that, and that, and that, by the way, that also ties in with Dan Buettner in the, in the blue zones, you know, with those longest living cultures. <laughs> All right. Dan Buettner published the blue zones, I think in like, it was about 15 years ago, yeah. the first version. And, you know, by the way, that is one of the books that has been a game changer for me. Okay. And I make reference to the blue zones multiple times in my book. Not that we should look at the blue zones in isolation and say, oh, this is like clearly, let's just accept it. This is clearly the way to go. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that is part of confirming what we're finding in all of our research studies. Look at the way they eat in the blue zones and then look at the effects of the food, the whole grains and the legumes on the gut microbiome. And now what you see is now we're seeing evidence of multiple layers. We're seeing in the blue zones. We're seeing it in the epidemiology studies. We're seeing it in the gut microbiome. We're seeing it in our our laboratory-based studies. When all layers point in the same direction, Rip, you know this, and I know your dad would agree with me on this. When all layers point in the same direction, that's when we have true power in science. That's when we find truth. When it's one little thing pointing in some random direction, that can be scattered. It cannot be accurate. Mm-hmm. So, so I really truly believe that, that the legumes are critical, critical, critical to the health of the gut microbiome. And if I'm not mistaken, I think legumes per cup have more fiber than any other plant-based food out there. Not just the fiber. They actually have resistant starch. And resistant starch is interesting. It's a little bit of a buzz term. And so I want to tell people real quick what this is. It's a form of starch that actually behaves like fiber. So it's not fiber, 
but it behaves like fiber because it passes through the intestine untouched and it equally gets your microbes doing the river dance. Hmm. <laughs> the river dance. It's a beautiful okay. dance. You got to admit, it's a wonderful show. Everyone loves the river dance. Well, if, if, if I want you and me to, to make a promise right now, if, if plant stock goes, if, if we're lucky enough to have it in 2020, you and I are going to get up on stage and we'll do the river dance. All right. I'm going to have to have my cousins teach me because my cousins were competitive Irish dancers. <laughs> so I'm going to have to have them give me some tips. But yes, you and I will we'll, we'll put on a beautiful Irish jig and we will yeah. get up there and do the river dance. Awesome. So you were talking about your acronym. You, yep, yep. Yep. The F goals. And we got through L. And so real quick, S. I struggled a little bit with S because I wanted to say shrooms. Yeah. And I wanted to say seaweed. And I included those as bonus categories. But I had to pull one out because this one might be my favorite out of all of them. And that is, that is sulforaphane. Now, here's where I'm going with this. Sulforaphane is the phytochemical, plant-based chemical. Plants have a monopoly on this. That probably is the most powerful anti-cancer chemical that I have come across. Hundreds of studies, hundreds of studies. This, this actually prevents and treats cancer by seven different mechanisms. And what's amazing about this sulforaphane, which I, I, I could have done an entire chapter on it in my book. I mean, I really wanted to, and I had to condense it down. What's amazing about it is that you'll find it in cruciferous vegetables. You'll find it in uh, cauliflower and Brussels sprouts and broccoli. But here's what's cool. You will get literally 100 times more sulforaphane from broccoli sprouts yeah. than you will adult mature broccoli. And so I have broccoli sprouts as a routine part of my, of my day, almost every day. And I actually grow my own and you wouldn't believe how easy it is to do. Well, and it's, and it's actually detailed in the book. Well, I, I need to start doing it then. I I'm mean, going to send you a kit. I'm going to send you a kit. I'm going to get you some seeds and we're going to get you rolling, man. Oh my gosh. So where, uh, so, so shrooms, you know, shrooms are so popular these days, right? All these different mushrooms and, uh, we just got a mushroom growing kit the other day in the mail from my, from my, my parents. Cool. Um, um, you said that they, they are, they're like bonus. They're, they're a bonus or what did you say they are? So I, you know, I got to S and yeah. I wanted to, I wanted to include shrooms and seaweed. So I still wrote up shrooms and seaweed as a part of my F goals, but for simplicity's sake, my technically my S is sulforaphane. But shrooms are, shrooms are amazing, amazing. And you know what's kind of cool is we, we consider them honorary plants. Yeah. But they're not actually plants. They're, fu <laughs> they're fungi. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Um, just like, you know, I say diversity of plants in honor of shrooms, I would also say diversity of toadstools. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fun, fun guy, fun guys. And you're, uh, do, so do you think that they, uh, do your microbes, microbes do the river dance with, with mushrooms as well, you think? Oh, 100%. 100%. Yeah. So there's a, a unique type of fiber. And, and, and let me say, there are probably millions, if not billions, of types of fiber in nature. We don't even have an estimate of how many. So when, when I talk about one unique type of fiber, just know this is just one type. There's, and they're all unique in their own biochemical way. Yeah. But um, mushrooms have this type of fiber called beta-glucan. And beta-glucan is very, very well recognized to help optimize our immune system. 
And that's one of the advantages of mushrooms mm -hmm. is that they help to optimize our immune system, which is something that comes in handy with these days. And, but I'm not talking about, I mean, you know this rip, I'm not talking about the powder that you put in your coffee or something like that. I'm talking about the real thing. Let's eat real food people, you know? Yep. 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 Let's have, let's have a, some of those, uh, those oyster mushrooms or shiitake mushrooms or portobello mushrooms. Let's put them on the grill. Let's, oh, there's so many different things to do. Give me all of them. I had yeah. I I had on uh, in season one, uh, Chad Sarno uh, mm -hmm. from Wicked Healthy. Oh man, those guys! He and his brother Derek—they are into the shrooms like nobody's business. Nice, good stuff. Good stuff. Love uh, um, so let me ask you this: <clears throat> You know that during COVID nineteen, there's been a a run on the supermarkets for toilet paper, right? Correct. <laughs> And and I'm just uh, and I asked you this in all sincerity. Uh, I'm wondering, uh, since this is your expertise, what, in your opinion, have you found is the best way for people to wipe their butts? Oh wow! Uh, well, this this. So first of all, the <laughs> podcast just just took a turn that I was not expecting here. I I right. I, I know, and that's intentional. <laughs> and I want to forewarn the people at home that I am exceedingly comfortable with this topic. <laughs> um, so, yeah, let's do it, baby. Let's get crazy. Then, uh, let's do it, man. Hit the, hit the pause button on the recording. I'm going to drop down and get 50 push-ups. I'll be back in a minute, folks. Um, all right. So I think the answer is quite clear. And I, don't, I actually don't need a research study to back me up on this. I am an N of one, and I have confirmed yeah. But the single greatest way to clean your derriere is with a bidet. It's with a bidet. You got to go with the bidet. It's fantastic. And, you know, it's like, why are we chopping down trees so that we could wipe our derriere, or to, to wipe our hiney? Why are we chopping down trees to wipe our hiney when you could have the pleasurable experience of using a bidet? And you're even cleaner. You feel great. You feel fresh. And it's like you look forward to the next time that you have to take a crap. <laughs> and, and you know what you're going to do? It, it creates this like, um, you know, <clears throat> sometimes people talk about like a, a negative feedback loop where there's like a vicious cycle where you could hurt yourself, right? Like one thing leads to another thing leads to another thing. This is like a positive version of that. This is like a redeeming thing where it starts getting a good cycle where, you know, you, you look forward to using the bathroom because you got the bidet there. So you go, you know what? I'm going to ramp up my fiber. I'm going to ramp up my fiber so that I'm, I have to go and, 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 you know, drop, drop the Dukes like three times a day. Oh, oh. And, and I, you get are, are, are you, are you only three, man? I'm four, baby. <laughs> oh man. I'm, I'm, I'm rocking three, but I'm rocking okay. like an, an extremely pleasurable, like <laughs> yeah. euphoric type of three. There you go. There you go. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I think I interrupted you. Were, were you finished with that train of thought, the bidet? I mean, I could keep going all day with that, but I think it's better that you interrupt me and we move forward. Okay. Uh, okay. Well, well I, I, I got you, but he, but here's the thing. Most people don't have a bidet. Do you actually have a bidet in the house? I do. Yeah, yeah. You do. And it's fantastic. Yeah, and we, that's, we actually got it uh, in the last year, yeah. pre-COVID-19, and have discovered how wonderful it is to have this during COVID-19 because everyone else is cramping, you know, everyone else is trying to get toilet paper and we don't have to worry about it. Well, you know, and, and I have a, a friend who lived in Japan for 11 years and they have these toilets, right, where you can actually direct, you know, the, the stream, the temperature and all that. I guess Japanese have had this technology for a long, long time or it's just part of the toilet. Um, 
And so I went to his house and I used it. It was phenomenal. Uh, I think you know, if people could try it, they'd never go back. Um, what we have, and we're getting a little more explicit, but you know, we did clot diapers with our kids. And so we had this attachment that you can put onto the toilet where you can kind of clean it with this. Um, it's almost like one of the things you have on your sink, mm-hmm. right? For cleaning dishes, that, mm-hmm. but uh, it's retractable. But anyway, so um, we've been using that uh, for, for a while. And it's just, it, it's so easy. You don't have to mess with toilet paper. It's really not, I don't think toilet paper is the cleanest way to, cle- to clean yourself, obviously. No, and, and, I think we made a cultural mistake. No, and, no. And, and I'll be honest, I want you to introduce me to your friend in Japan. Like if I go to Japan, I want to go to this guy's house. You know? Oh, oh, no, he, no, he lived there for 11 years. Now he's, oh. he's here in Boulder, Colorado. I, I might have to, once they lift the restrictions, I think I'm flying out to Boulder. I want to meet this guy. Well, what you need to do is just find out how he flew it, flew it here to the States. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's fantastic. And my, you know, my bidet for what it's worth, um, has different, all kinds of, I mean, you know, these things, they can be very sophisticated. I have all kinds of different settings. I got a dryer, you know, the dryer has got nice warm air. I mean, it's, it it, it all is part (laughs) of the experience. Yeah, no, no. Uh, And I, you know, there was a, there was an article in the New York times, not too, not too long ago, just about toilet paper and how it's really not the most effective way to clean, to clean our butts and how a lot of people over clean, they over wipe, you know, you get, you know, you get rectal bleeding, you get itchy, butt. I mean, it's just, you see it all. I'm sure. You know, that's, that's the interesting thing is that we get these people that come in and you're never going to talk to your friends about this. So you'll never realize how many of your friends probably are dealing with the same thing. But we get a ton of people that come in with itchy butt. All right. And most people don't realize that it's actually, you, you just nailed it, Rip. It's the overcleaning that causes itchy butt. And I tell them, I'm like, look, the first thing that you need to do is stop using the witch hazel. Stop using the alcohol wipes that you would use on your baby. Stop doing that. And when you shower, stop using all the detergents and the soaps. Just rinse it. Just rinse the bottom with water and pat it dry and leave it alone. Because that's actually, it's the drying out of the lining in that area. You actually dry out the area with the soap. And when you dry it out, it gets itchy. And then people want to clean it even more. Yeah, yeah. So you, you said, you mentioned the shower, which made me think of, we, we had a woman from Hawaii that spoke at Plantstock a couple of years ago, Dr. Ermine Van Dyken. And she mentioned how she hasn't, doesn't wash her hair, doesn't use a lot of soaps and stuff like that to kind of keep the, I think, the integrity of those microbiomes in the hair, the armpits and stuff like that. Do you have any, any recommendation on that? When was the last time you washed your hair? <laughs> well, so I, you know, it's interesting. I grew up washing my hair every single day. Yeah. And what I discovered, and this is in the last couple of years, is that if you actually skip washing your hair most days, your hair gets a natural luster and yeah. is more manageable. And, I, and it's like, and it looks better too. You start getting more compliments. So it, uh, there's definitely something to that. And there's someone that you guys had at, at plant stock, uh, I think maybe two years ago, Robin Chuckin. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and Robin is a, is a dear friend of mine. She's amazing. She wrote the microbiome solution and she yeah. believes many of these ideas too, which is that she, um, she actually uses an expression. And her mantra. Her mantra is "Live dirty, eat clean." Exactly. That's what I'm <laughs> say. Which is perfect. I think she nailed yeah. it with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I know we, we've kind of taken a bit of a, a tangent here on a little dirt road here, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I got to keep going just a little bit farther. Okay. So, so I'm I'm wondering, have you found 
uh, or maybe I don't know if your patients share this kind of information, but I, you know, I was on, for example, the, the Dr. Oz show maybe six years ago, and he challenged me to get these three firefighters uh, to eat plant-based, to lose weight, get off their medications, get supremely healthy. And I went and I showed these guys how to cook. And some, one of the feedback I got from one of the firefighters' wives was, oh my gosh, his poops, they smell so much better. They're not like peeling the paint off the walls. And why is that? I mean, can, you, right. can, you, can you address that at all? <laughs> 110% I can. Um, microbes are ubiquitous in nature. They're a part of all life. Okay. And that includes the circle of life where a food ultimately rots and decomposes. It's bacteria. It's the microbes that take it back. Now, I actually talk about this a little bit in the book because you know, we need to reframe this and stop thinking of things as rotten, which has negative implications or connotations. And instead, think of it as that's the circle of life. You had an opportunity to eat the food and now nature is taking it back. Now, when you take plants and you decompose plants, you get healthy soil. Yeah. Right. But when you, um, when you decompose meat, what do you get? You get a corpse, right? You get a rotten corpse. And that's what's happening when people eat meat in time, in, inside of their gut. When you eat meat, your body is basically decomposing and rotting the meat in the exact same way that it would if you just let it be in Mother Nature for a longer period of time. Yeah, I think I think I heard my father once say, "Why do you want it?" A lot of people have a graveyard in their guts. It's just oh, not good, not good. That you know, it's interesting, and and they they actually did a study on this rip. Um, yeah. That because at the end of the day, for me. This is, I'm a man of science, you know, even after I met my wife, if the science wasn't there, I don't know that I could have done it. The science had to be there. And and that's why my book is all is very science forward, 600 references. They did a study where they actually took people and they said, okay, we're going to put you on a five days of 100% whole food plant-based. And we're going to see what happens to your gut microbiome. And then we're going to take you, same person, and put you on five days of 100% animal products, meat, dairy, and eggs. I mean, you could call it a carnivore diet if you want. You could also call it a keto diet if you want. They met both of those criteria, right? Here's what happens. Day one, because they measured the microbiome every single day. Day one, both diets, radical changes. The choices that you make will affect your gut microbiome immediately. Day one, radical changes with both diets. When you ate the plant-based diet, you got more and more of what we would characterize as anti-inflammatory microbes. They were thriving. They were growing. And what did you get? You got more short-chain fatty acids, which we touched on a little bit. These are yeah. I have an entire chapter in my book about these, the healing effects that go all the way from your gut all the way up to your brain and throughout the entire body everywhere else. So they got more of the healthy microbes. They got more of the short-chain fatty acids. Let's contrast that to what happened when people ate the completely animal product-based diet. Day one, immediately alterations of the gut bacteria. But this time, instead of anti-inflammatory microbes, you got scary ones. You got scary ones. You got ones that have been associated with disease. You got ones that are associated with inflammation. Let me draw out just one of them for you. There's this bacteria that started showing up like crazy 
within five days called Biblophila wadsworthia. All right. Biblophila wadsworthia is a bacteria that thrives when you eat meat because when you eat meat, the fat content causes your liver to push out more bile. And the bile itself will actually change your microbiome because you're eating all this meat. Biblophilia is one of the ones that thrives in that situation. And this Biblophila wadsworthia rip has been very, very strongly associated with the development of inflammatory bowel disease, Crohn's disease, and ulcerative colitis. What that means is in less than five days, these people were already setting the stages. It's not that they developed inflammatory bowel. It's that they were laying the foundation so that they would potentially develop inflammatory bowel someday. In addition to that, no short-chain fatty acids. You don't eat the fiber, guess what? You're not getting these short-chain fatty acids. If you don't eat a fiber, you're not going to get it. And the other thing that was really interesting, Rip. Is, 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 is the only way to get these short-chain uh, omega acid, omega fatty acids uh, through your microbiome? The, so um, there are people who have attempted to create supplements. Yeah. All right. And you will also see some people who will make an argument that you can find these short-chain fatty acids in some high-fat dairy products like butter. Okay. The difference is that there are no studies showing, or ver, there are no studies with butter to say that there's benefit to butyrate a short chain fatty acid being in the butter. There is no study to say that. All the studies with short chain fatty acids that show benefit are because you eat fiber, the fiber gets to your colon, your microbes transform the fiber into short chain fatty acids, and then they go from there, from the colon, to affect the colon, to affect the microbes, to affect the rest of the body through the bloodstream. So you can't say that they're the same thing just because they exist. You need to have the body work the physiology that it's supposed to. So, yeah. So, and if you don't eat fiber, you're not going to get them. And the other thing, Rip, that was very interesting in this study on the animal product diet real quick that I want to point out is that the researchers were quite surprised to discover that in less than five days, the people eating the animal product diet had resistance, drug resistance, antibiotic resistance showing up in their gut microbiome. They had antibiotic resistance. Why would that be? It would be because when you eat meat, yeah, 80% of the antibiotics in our country are not going to humans. 80% of the antibiotics in our country are going to livestock and it's in the beef residues. It's in the meat residues. And so when you eat the meat, it's like taking antibiotics. It's destroying your gut. That's uh, incredible. So you mentioned antibiotics. Um, can you talk for a sec about antibiotics and do you, do you recommend for your patients and people to do everything they can to stay off antibiotics? Because does that pretty much obliterate your, uh, your healthy, you know, microbes? The, the antibiotics cause serious alteration of the gut microbes. All right. An example, five days of Cipro, which I would call a moderate antibiotic. It's not even the strongest one. Yeah. Five days of Cipro wipes out 35% of your gut microbes. And meanwhile, six, the other 65% that are left behind, guess what they are? Those are Cipro resistant. And they're going to multiply and they're going to become more powerful now. When you take an antibiotic years later, if you look at the microbiome, you will see that there are still changes in the gut microbiome. You never go all the way back. Wow. So, and to do them a couple times a year because you have sinus infections, is to progressively cause injury to the microbiome. You dig yourself deeper and deeper into a hole. So it's not that I'm against antibiotics. 
antibiotics were probably the biggest um, breakthrough in medicine of the last 100 years. Okay, added more years to our life expectancy than anything. What I am against is the overutilization of antibiotics. You shouldn't use them unless you really need them. Yeah. We got to save them. And the last thing we should be doing, the last thing we should be doing is overutilizing them in the food supply with the livestock just because it makes more money for them. Do you know what it does, Rip? You give these antibiotics to these cows. You know why they do it? It's not to prevent infection. You know what happens? You damage their gut microbiome. You destroy the cow's microbiome and the cow will gain 15% more weight. That's why they give the antibiotics. And guess what happens in a human when you give them antibiotics? You destroy the microbiome and some people, they gain weight. So yeah. the, 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 bottom line, the bottom line is that um, we, we really should be upset about the way that antibiotics are being used because drug-resistant bacteria in the future can be as dangerous to us as COVID-19 is right now. And we really need to be serious about nipping this in the bud. Right, right. Um, well, that, that needs to be in the, uh, in the conversations that are going around right now. And I don't know if it is to the extent that it needs to be. Um, you know, if we don't learn from this, then what's the point? Yeah. Right? Well, we make ourselves better. What's the point? Yeah. Well, I, I think, hey, you know what? We're, I think we're optimists, right? So we're, we're, we, we will learn. Um, we will be better. We will go forth. Let me ask you this. The, um, cause there's so much talk and chatter about probiotics, prebiotics, uh, in your opinion, you know, all these people, they're going to the store, they're, they're buying yogurts that are, you know, it says probiotics. They're buying supplements that are probiotics. You know, they think that probiotics after maybe a bout of, a, uh, you know, a, a round of antibiotics, is going to help their, their, you know, their gut micro, microbiome. Uh, what's your opinion on probiotics, prebiotics, and, and all that? Diet and lifestyle should always come first. You can't take a C-minus gut, and no matter what you do from a supplement perspective, whether it's prebiotics, probiotics, or anything else, yeah. you can't take a C-minus gut and turn it into an A-plus with a supplement. It's impossible. But what you can do is you can take a C-minus gut and make it an A, borderline A plus with your diet and your lifestyle. And then you might be able to sprinkle the prebiotics on top and get yourself up to the A plus that you're looking for. Mm -hmm. I have a hierarchy in my practice. Okay. So I'm a gastroenterologist. I take care of these patients for a living. I do this all day, every day. And my hierarchy is diet and lifestyle comes first. Prebiotics come second. When I say prebiotics, I'm talking about fiber supplements. Mm. All right. And then Third are probiotics. The problem is this, two things. Number one, probiotics, more hype than actual science. All right, it's, a, it's, it's more about marketing than it is about the science right now. People want you to open up your wallet and spend 40 to $60 a month, and they are reaping a huge reward off of that by hyping them up and making you believe that this pill is going to fix all your problems. And it's not. Yeah. Yeah. The second problem is it's completely unique to the individual. So Rip, and this is true for your people at home too, you have a completely unique gut microbiome. There is no one on the planet with a gut microbiome exactly like you. It's, it's like your fingerprint, okay? So if we take that completely unique microbiome, and then I come over here with this probiotic capsule, which is a generic formula that I give to everyone, 
I'm going to drop that generic formula into your gut and I'm going to cross my fingers and I'm going to hope that when that generic formula meets your completely unique gut microbiome, we get magic and we get something good that happens. The problem is that the majority of the time, you don't get the magic you're looking for. And it becomes a waste of money and a waste of time. There are some patients that I will recommend probiotics, again, after diet, after lifestyle, after prebiotics. And there are some who really benefit from it. So I'm not trying to dismiss them entirely, but I don't think that they're as valuable as people believe they are right now. Fantastic. Uh, what, what is your opinion about, you think medicine's going to change going forward? You think we're going to see 50% of medicine, uh, like maybe you seeing patients will be telemedicine going forward because of what's happened here? And is that a good thing? Um, I think that it's it's definitely entirely possible that medicine changes as a result of this. I, it's hard for me to put my finger on exactly how. Telemedicine is one of the possibilities. All right. I, there are things that they would have to change in order to make that work. I would just tell you on the financial side. Yeah. Telemedicine, if we were exclusively telemedicine and we never went back, unless they changed the rules around that, we would probably go out of business. Yeah. Um, the uh, I think that things are going to change from the payer perspective, meaning the insurance companies. I think the insurance companies are going to start opening their mind up to the possibility that they should be paying for more than just pills and procedures. I think that the future is that we need to bring forward the compelling arguments and show these insurance providers that they would be better off paying people to eat plants than paying for pills and procedures. I honestly believe that. Yeah. And it's just yeah. a matter of getting them on board. <laughs> I think it's going to happen eventually. I really do. Yeah. What, uh, what Dr. B, uh, are you most excited about going forward right now in your life? Uh, and if you want to say fiber fueled, I get it, man. It's your first book. It's your baby. It's coming out May 12th. That's, that's pretty darn exciting. How long have you been working on Fiber Fueled? Uh, all right. So, you know what? It has, that has to be the answer. Yeah. Okay. It has to be the answer because just like I'm sure the way you felt when Engine 2 came out, you know the work that goes into this. Yeah. And so I, I, in July of 2018, I did a podcast with Simon Hill from Plant Proof and it went viral. It went viral and it, and it was a new experience for both of us. And um, when that happened, I was like, gosh, people are freaking out. I was like, I got to do something with this energy. There's an energy that's out there about this right now. I need to do something and bottle it up. I can't just keep, you know, it's great. I love being on this podcast with you, but I can't just keep going on these podcasts. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so that's when I decided to try to write this book and, you know, uh, I've actually turned it around. I know you can appreciate this faster than you almost ever see in the book industry. You know that it, I, I started the idea in August of 2018. Started wow. Yeah. And, um, and here we are May of, of 2020 and it's coming out and, you know, just so people understand, this is, this is the way that I, I feel about this book. Number one, you were getting the best of me. You were getting the, this is the best that I've ever been in my entire life. I've never been so focused. I'm just a man on a mission, a man on fire to give you the, everything I got. Number two, this is the highest level of communication. You can listen to this, you know, you can listen to the engine two podcast, right? And we're having this conversation, but that's different than me giving you an entire year's worth of effort 
and 600 references that I condensed down into a page that you could read down, down into a book that you could read in a weekend. So to me, this is, I, I feel like I'm delivering what I was called to do to share this message of plant-based gut health, to show people that most of what they've been told about the microbiome is not true. Here's the truth. Let me show you the science. And it's all about, at the end of the day, this special relationship that exists between fiber and our gut microbes. And we need to nurture that relationship because right now we're ignoring it. And if we nurture that relationship, it is the sky is the limit in terms of human health. <laughs> awesome. Um, no, I, I love everything you just said there. And I love that, you know, people are going to get the absolute best of you at this moment in time. And, it, and there's not a better moment in time, right? With everything that's going on right now, where we're sheltering in place, we got to protect our, uh, our immune system. And this to me is the best way to like buttress up your immune system. Gut health is immune health. Gut health is immune health. It's that yeah. simple. And so if you want a healthy immune system, I can't find a better way for you to get you to get a, a healthy immune system than to, to basically optimize your gut. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, you know what? I want to be respectful of, of everybody's time here. And, uh, but, but God, uh, Will, this has been nothing short of spectacular. I can't believe the wealth of information that you have uh, acquired. Um, and you're just giving us just a little taste of it. So I, I personally can't wait to dive into fiber fueled and, uh, and, and, up and continue continue to apply all these principles that I've been utilizing now for almost 33 years. Fingers crossed, toes crossed, everything crossed that you and I get to, uh, get to get together at plant stock here in about a little over three months. If I was a betting man, I'd say it's a coin toss, mm. but, uh, but we'll see. Um, man, any, um, any last things as far as where people can find you if they want to follow you on Instagram or a website or anything like that? Yeah, no, thank you. Um, so first thing is I think that we live in this era of misinformation. And so it becomes very important for each one of us to say we're going to identify the valuable information and we're going to elevate it. We're going to lift it up. And that's how we need to combat misinformation. We need to lift up high quality information. So for the people listening at home to this podcast, if you have enjoyed this podcast, please share it. Please put it on your social media. Please tell your friends because this is how we get good information out there and we combat the misinformation. And the same is true with my book. I cannot wait for people to check out my book, Fiber Fueled. It's available through all the traditional places. I just want to say, if you get the opportunity to buy it from your local bookstore, please do that. And the reason why is because someday I want to be able to go into your bookstore and browse a book. And if we don't support them right now with everything going on, we're not going to be able to do that. So get Fiber Fueled from your local bookstore. It's coming out May 12th. Check me out on the internet at theplantfedgut.com. I have a wealth of resources there. I got a COVID-19 guide that you can download for free. I am completely 100% transparent with my references from my book. All 600 references, including a research guide where I basically lay out for you the way to start thinking about science as a layperson. All of that is completely available for free on my website. 
And then you can find me on social media on Instagram at the gut health MD. That's where I'm hanging out. So thank you guys. And I look forward to interacting with you. And I want to hear more about what you think about this podcast and about my book when you read it. <laughs> All right, Dr. B, you are the man. You are the gut man. You are the gut of a hero. Let's do our, let's do our, our, our typical sign off, man. Give me a piece. Turn it around. Engine two. Give me a fist. Plant strong, baby. Plant strong. Thank you, Dr. B. We look forward to learning more about you during our Plant Strong Primer event, May 15th to the 17th, 2020. And once again, to register for this exclusive event that will bring my family together with yours, visit primer.plantstrong.com. And to learn more about Dr. B and his work, visit theplantfedgut.com. Next week, buckle in as I catch up with another true pioneer and hero in the plant-based movement, the author of The China Study, one of the stars of Forks Over Knives, Dr. T. Colin Campbell. You won't want to miss it. The Plant Strong Podcast team includes Lori Kordowich, Amy Mackey, Patrick Gavin, Wade Clark, and Carrie Barrett. I want to thank my parents, Dr. Caldwell B. Esselstyn Jr. and Ann Kryle Esselstyn, for creating a legacy that will be carried on for generations and being willing to go against the current and trudge upstream to the causation. We are all better for it.